A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the European football expert, Kevin Hatchard and TalkSport football correspondent Alex Crook as England inflict a biggest ever defeat on Norway, make history and win their group with a game to spare. Here Walsh to strike, missed by the goalkeeper, tapped in. And it's there from Bethmead, a hat-trick. England make a statement at Euro 2022. England 8, Norway 0. Norway looked frightened in Brighton. As top gunner Beth scores a hat-trick, no wonder England feel the need. The need for Mead. No one saw it coming. Norway had won their previous six games, but England were ruthless, relentless and absolutely dominant. Also, Manchester United dish out an ultimatum to Barcelona. Ten Hag tries to bond his collection of misfits. Harry Kane trains till he's sick. Chelsea turn to Navri. And more transfer news than you can shake a stick at. A podcast that will probably have more holes in it than the Norway defence. It's the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. This is game day. Well, yes, you join me, Sam Matterface, at the Amex Stadium in Brighton, the scene of England's victory over Norway in the UEFA Women's European Championships of 2022. What a fantastic party is going to happen at the uh, Amex here in the bowels of the Amex and in Brighton tonight. Absolutely fantastic. Sensational. Um, I'm slightly surprised that uh, it's as quiet there now as it is because that place was absolutely bouncing at full time we had to delay the start of the podcast because you said it was simply too noisy um i mean talk about a statement result from england we all were getting a bit carried away by france anything they can do england can do twice over and this was against the norway side as you say who we keep being told are dark horses they've got a former ballon d'or winner they've got champions league finalists in their ranks they were absolutely torn to shreds and actually England could and probably should have got double figures. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we'll talk about the game in detail in just a second, Kevin. But you know, this is, is this the moment that everybody in the country gets lioness fever? 3.7 million people watched the opening game at Old Trafford on, on the television. Loads more watched it and listened to it around the world. Our own talk sport figures have been really big for the, the, the Lionesses games. And I'm sure as the goals were going in, that the listening figures were going through the roof on our app and on digital radio. Is this the moment the sort of everybody starts getting involved in the tournament and it spreads wider than just the core football fan? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a really massive moment for the tournament. It's a massive moment for England. It just rubber stamps what we knew about England, that they have incredible firepower. 
they've been scoring lots of goals in the build-up to this tournament under Serena Beekman. And what's great about them is that they can hurt you in so many different ways. They're not reliant on one or two players. So I think people will look at the atmospheres in the stadiums. I mean, look at Old Trafford. That was extraordinary for the opening game. And I think it's been been a rip-roaring start to the tournament, not just from England. Um, I'm looking forward to a couple of the games I'm going to go to over the next few days. I think there's a real buzz building around this tournament. And this can do no harm. Okay, everybody started their uh, sweepstake timers, by the way, for how long it takes before uh, Kevin says that Germany are the favourites uh, and will win the <laughs> tournament. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it won't be too long. But yeah, it has been a really great start to the tournament. I know, Crooker, you were at the Northern Ireland game earlier in the day. They're out of the tournament now. Just a quick word on your experience following them so far. Oh, it's been great, um, to be honest. I've been at both their matches. I've been down at the training ground every other day. They've been made to feel really welcomed by the media team. Uh, the manager, the, the players as well. And I think they've given a, a really good account of themselves. And I don't want to be sounding patronising in any way, but this is a group of girls who aren't professional players. They've been treated as professional players for the last six months in preparation for this tournament, but most of them have got part-time jobs, sorry, full-time jobs, many of them um, are mums as well. And, you know, to, to, to match physically Norway in the second half as they did in the first game and to go toe-to-toe with Austria, just lacking that little bit of quality in the final third, I think they can take a lot of heart for this tour- from this uh, tournament. We will talk about Manchester United uh, later in the programme. We're also going to talk about Chelsea switching their attention to Nabry and Tottenham, who are working incredibly hard uh, on their pre-season tour. Some other transfer tidbits uh, that Crook will bring us. Might talk about Joe Rebo as well, who's gone to Southampton. And uh, I know you spoke to Ralph Harson when you were down at St. Mary's earlier on today. But we are going to focus on the Lionesses in the first part and look back at what was a great eight. There is no doubt that for two of the dark horses, tonight could be a pivotal evening. She steps up, she hits it right-footed, high into the net, and what a penalty that is from Georgia Stanway. And the Lioness is roaring to the lead, comes back in field, left-footed towards the far post, touched in, offside flag is up against Lauren Hemp. In the VAR hub, reviewing the action, she is awarded the goal, it's 2-0 yeah. England! Norway look absolutely shell-shocked. And this is really dangerous. And White's rubbed on Espatia. She's in on goal. She's scored now. Norway were the powerhouses for many, many years. They won 11 of the first 12 meetings between these two countries. Yes, the, the pendulum has slightly swung back in England's favour. But this is this is a seismic result for the tournament. Across by Hemp into the centre. Header. Goal. Beth Mead. Brilliant. 14 appearances before tonight. She scored 15 goals and 10 assists in that 14-game period under Serena Ving. It's pretty impressive. Down the middle of the goal with a left-footed strike. It's a second goal for Beth Mead. It's five for England. It's Kirby. It's the back post of White. Sends it in. It's six. To put things into perspective, I was going to draw comparisons. It would almost be like England men beating Portugal 6-0 at half-time. 28,847 is the official attendance here at the Amex Stadium. Into the box, Russo is underneath it. Russo gets there with a header! And Alicia Russo scores for England. Here, a Walsh to strike, missed by the goalkeeper, tapped in. And it's there from Beth Mead, a hat-trick! I can't get my head around this, it's absolutely unbelievable, it really is. And I can't speak highly enough of the players. England make a statement at Euro 2022. England 8! 
Norway now. Well, I can talk all day uh, about this performance because I was here and I'm standing now over the halfway line looking down at the pitch being repaired by the ground staff at the Amex Stadium. But let's hear from the people that really count. Serena Wigman and the main protagonist who held England to an 8-0 victory. Now, I, I thought, what's going on here? Um, what's happening? Um, so we just enjoyed the moment. We just said at halftime, we really have to keep the ball going and trying to score more goals and concede none. That's what we did. We take it from now. We celebrate. Uh, we know we're, we're through the group stage, which is really good. Uh, but we also know Northern Ireland is going to be an important game to just keep the rhythm. Uh, and also, of course, we want to win that one. But after that, we're going to get top, top level games. And I think that's going to be another level than uh, what we uh, had uh, today. No, we're just, you know, we want to do well. And as I told you a couple of times, we have a dream. But we take it day, match by match. So the next match, we yeah, we want to win. And we, ha we, we have nothing now. We still have nothing. Uh, it's very, really nice that we have this good game. And we're only talking about football and being in the now. And um, and doing our best. That's what we have to do. And then we hope we win every next game. Do you know what? We're in this camp. It's all about every game as it comes. And and as a group, we want to make everyone proud of this England team. Everyone proud here tonight. We're so thankful for they came and watched us. And then everyone watching at home. We want to make everyone proud. And hopefully, um, you could see that tonight. And hopefully, you know, we'll continue to move forward. And and we'll be loving every minute. Yeah, absolutely. I thought everyone was amazing tonight. I think we took our chances as well. And maybe we fell short of that a little bit um, in games prior and, and the warm-up games. So, yeah, it was great to see things come to fruition tonight, but uh, still lots more to do. Beth Mead with three goals, two goals for Ellen White. I mean, the, the statistics for Beth Mead since uh, she came back into the team under Serena Vigman are absolutely outstanding. I think it's 17 goals or something that she scored, maybe 18 goals that she scored in 15 appearances under Serena Vigman. I mean, it's absolutely astonishing. Um, but I think the key thing tonight was is that actually, Kevin, England started a little bit on the back foot. The first three, four minutes of that game, they were a little bit under the cosh from Norway, who have got a wealth of talent. Caroline Graham Hansen is a Champions League winner couple of times over. So is Ada Hegerberg, who is a, a former Ballon d'Or winner and one of the best players uh, that have played the, the, the women's game. Um, but after that, they got a little bit fortunate with a penalty. Let's just say it like that. Shall we? Is that fair? <laughs> a little. Fair? I think it's probably A fair. little, yeah. And once that goal went yeah. in, it was one-way traffic. Yeah, it was. Uh, the penalty's massive. I do think that. And I think Ellen White deserves credit for the way she rolls the defender, but it's it's not a penalty, I don't think. Uh, but it was beautifully put away by Georgia Stanway, who I've been really impressed with across both of the games, actually. Excellent with and without the ball. Uh, I think, as I said before, they can hurt you in so many ways. Ellen White playing the number nine role perfectly, dragging defenders out of position, which didn't take much doing in, in some of the goals, it has to be said. Beth May, brilliant. I think the weird thing is we've seen England be, you know, slow and steady in the first game, sensational in the second. Lauren Hemp, I think, is capable of much, much more. I don't think we've seen remotely what she's capable of so far. So that's scary for opposition sides. And then you look at the quality that can bring off the bench. You know, I thought Alessia Russo, she's a real danger. I mean, the header was superb. Brilliant cross as well from Lucy Bronze for that goal. And I just think... It's not even just the team as a whole. It's the squad as a whole. And I think the leading nations will look at this and think, wow, OK, they really are serious.
Yeah, and there's no doubt that um, England's squad is their biggest strength. The, the number of resources and the difference that those players make when they come off the bench is, is stark. And I thought that tonight, yeah, we were going to see some substitutes at half-time. They were 6-0 up at half-time. Maybe that they would make a change then. But no, in the second half, as usual, 10, 15 minutes into it, changes came. Most of them were the similar changes that were made against Austria. But Alex Greenwood, I was pleased to see her get on the pitch because I think She's probably been so unfortunate not to be involved in yeah. the start so far. Uh, hit the crossbar, had a free kick, which went narrowly over the top as well. But I don't think Crook was wrong when he said it could have been more than eight. Ellen White had a couple of great opportunities, which on another day she would have converted. They hit the crossbar, as I've just mentioned. Beth Mead had another chance where she didn't sort her feet out in time because she maybe saw the, her name up in lights before she got a hat-trick uh, goal. So... There were a number of opportunities, 26 attempts on goal, 14 on target. Norway didn't even have a shot on target in the game. They had 61% of possession. And in the second half, it felt like Norway couldn't get out. I thought it might be different in the second half. I thought maybe that there would be an opportunity for Norway to get a foothold in the game. No chance. So how bad were Norway and how good were England? Because, I mean, it looks like Norway, I mean, I said naive during the commentary. I think that's probably a bit kind, isn't it? Yeah, I, th I think it's probably a combination of the two, as it often is when you get these one-sided scorelines. I think UEFA are probably quite relieved that it didn't get to double figures because actually I think in some ways that would be quite embarrassing for the tournament if you've got two teams who are considered as genuine contenders and there's such a golfing class between the two of them. What impressed me about England um, was they just kept going for it. And it actually, it reminded me of a game I covered a few seasons ago at St Mary's when Leicester scored nine against Southampton. And usually when a team goes five or six and up, as England did before half-time, inevitably they take their foot off the pedal in the second half. They conserve their energy. They almost take pity on their opponents. England did not do that. They kept uh, pressing high up the pitch. They kept forcing the Norwegian defence into mistakes and they kept hunting for more goals. And I think there'll be a little bit of a disappointment. They didn't score more goals. I mean, you said that uh, uh, Beth Mead didn't keep her footing on one of the chances she had, she certainly kept her footing, didn't she, with that dazzling run that will be played uh, over time. And again, I mean, that might be one of the goals of the tournament in the first week of the tournament. She was brilliant. So was Lucy Bronze down that right-hand side. And that's clearly uh, good management from Serena V when they targeted the Norwegian left. And uh, wow, I mean, they targeted it to fantastic effect. Yeah, let's talk so, about that Norwegian left-hand side. Julia Blackstad, who plays for Manchester City and has actually been all right for Manchester City, playing the FA Cup final, but she was incredibly vulnerable, looked incredibly vulnerable in that full-back position tonight. And England exposed that right side all evening. She's got no help as well. Uh, and I think what was extraordinary, really, was that Martin Sjogren has been with that side for quite a long time now and has had yeah. struggles in this tournament before, of course. Uh, lost all three games without scoring last time out. But didn't change anything. Didn't give any help. Didn't double up on that side. Didn't recognise that all of the, a lot of the threat was coming down that side. Because Lucy Bronze, as we know, obviously has had fitness issues here and there isn't quite at full speed yet. But when she doubles up with Beth Mead, it's so difficult for even a really experienced, excellent left-back to deal with. But if you're not getting any help on that side, it's impossible. And 
it kind of had a bit of a chain reaction because there were gaps opening up all over the place. Fran Kirby, by the way, I think he's brilliant. Even when she's being relatively quiet, she picks up those spaces between the lines and it pulls players out of position and it gives other players space to operate in. She's so clever. It is her movement as well, isn't it? Because what the game plan was uh, against Austria and and similarly tonight, actually, you've got two really good wingers in, in Beth Mead and in Lauren Hemp. England play with a two, a double pivot, really, when they haven't got the ball. Georgia Stanway and Kira Walsh, she was terrific. We'll How good was she, on. by the way, Kira oh, Walsh? Unbelievably next good. Next yeah. next level, and actually has been for some while. And she goes under the radar because she sits in front of the back four and doesn't really get the headlines, doesn't score the goals, never score for England. But she um, she created Beth Mead's hat-trick goal with a shot from 25 yards out, which the goalkeeper spilt and Mead tapped it in. But the, the key thing is... Is that when they don't have that, when they do have the ball and they're going forward, that four-two-three-one changes into a four-three-three with Walsh sitting and waiting, and Stanway joining as a second eight alongside Frank Kirby, yeah. who drifts into a left channel position, and the right fullback, whoever it is, or you know, sometimes when Stanway goes down that right-hand side and does the same thing, occupies the channel on the other side. The fullbacks don't know whether to go with whoever is the forward, Russo or Ellen White to watch Kirby or to watch the winger. And as a result of that, there's always an overload and England scored their goal against Austria via that method. And, and again, upset that Norwegian defence this evening via the same route. I think what's interesting as well is that we've seen two different sides to England in a way because, uh, yes, Austria didn't pose a huge threat in the first game, but I thought Millie Bright was outstanding in that first game, especially in the air. And it's good that they've had that type of test already. I'd be fascinated to see because obviously they're going to get, we think, Spain or Germany, depending on what happens. Possibly Denmark, but they were smashed by Germany in the first game. But they're going to have a tough quarterfinal. So... The interesting thing is going to be when that difficulty level is ramped up, how will England cope with that? But so far, so good. I think also looking back at the Northern Ireland game, yes, Norway were impressive to a point, but they still gave chances away uh, against the minnows in the tournament. And clearly England had had looked at that and studied the video and and worked worked out exactly where they were vulnerable and, and they took full advantage. So I mean, you can't not be impressed with with what Serena Wiegmann has done. Yes, they were nervous in the first game at Old Trafford, but they got the job done and they've come out tonight. And that is a result that the rest of Europe now will set up and take notice. I guess the only problem is where do you go from there? Surely the only way is down after that kind of result and performance. Well, I think it's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, you know, what do you do against Northern Ireland now? Do you change the whole team and give those who have been on the bench an opportunity to stake a claim for a quarterfinal place or give them a bit of game time. We haven't seen anything from Beth England yet, Nikita Paris, Debbie Stokes, Jess Carter, one of the other goalkeepers, maybe Ellie Roebuck gets an opportunity on Friday. Or do you say, hold on a second, we rested five players in the second half, pretty much, you know, after sort of 50 minutes, they made a load of changes in England and ended up taking off Daly, White, Stanway, Hemp and Kirby. Can they play the first 11 again to keep the momentum going until half-time and then make all their changes? Well, Northern think- Ireland will certainly be hoping that they'll be <laughs> resting players and, and bringing in some of the reserves because you fear for them. I don't, I don't know if that's a good not. thing or a bad thing, actually. <laughs> Maybe not. Because the reserves will be hungry. I but I think say, what we've, that, there's not a big drop, though, is there? You see uh, England bring on people like Ella Toon, Chloe Kelly, uh, Alessia Russo was excellent. There's not a Scott drop. did well when she yeah, came on. Yeah, yeah. That, that wasn't like just a, a sentimental major, change. 
It's like a 10th major tournament. Actually, I, they, I thought they needed Jill Scott in the previous game against Austria just to plug the midfield a little bit and maybe just sort of get a bit more control of the game. They didn't do that. They went all out attack and it got a bit stretched towards the end of that match. But in this game, I mean, everything, everything that they did touched it, turned to gold, didn't it? I mean, it was absolutely brilliant. It really was from England. And some of the goals, the crafting of the goals, you could see the rehearsed patterns of play. You could see the, the, the quality of the crosses from right mm. and left, which just unsettled that Norwegian defence. And, you know, Thoris Tortilla was at Chelsea this time last year. has been at Manchester United for a year. Hey, look, has another great season. But, you know, certainly... Um, is, is a defender of some repute. Maren Mielda is a very well-respected central defender. Okay, again, she's had a what could have been a career-ending uh, injury in the, over the last year, so maybe she's not up to full speed herself. But you know, Guru Wrighton, Graham Hansen, uh, Ada uh, Hegerberg, Blackstead, we've already mentioned, you know, players that are playing at a really high level and England have torn them apart. They never once- got the ball to them, Sam. That's the thing, isn't it? We talk about Hegerberg and Graham Hansen and players like that. Never saw the ball. And then Torres Dutier, like you mentioned, there was another one where, where that's on the coach. I mean, she was having a nightmare from the, the penalty went against her and she never recovered from there. But I think, again, it comes down to England's movement because they can come short, they can spin in behind and players just don't know where to go and it's hard enough when it's working well when it's going badly and players are looking at each other going well why weren't you covering them or what are you doing or why aren't I getting any help that's when the coach has to step in he looked terrified for some reason he was just stood there on the sideline not making any changes I thought it was a bizarre piece of coaching quite frankly yeah, I, I think he I don't think he'll be standing on that sideline for much longer if it continues <laughs> no. uh, like that they may Might well go back. out <laughs> they, they, they may, may well go out I mean at one point we were doing the commentary and uh, Faye Crowley said I've got some I've got some news from the touchline I was thinking well maybe he's quit halfway through the game you never know <laughs> yeah. entirely possible uh, because it is a, a record victory uh, a record defeat sorry for Norway who inflicted mm-hmm. a record defeat on England in 2000 with sort of really untried players but I think England had already qualified for a European Championships and Norway played them in the final qualifier they changed all their players Norway didn't and they battered England out of sight and you got to remember you know back in the day Norway were one of the big teams. They're the World Cup winners in 1995. They've historically been a really good uh, yeah. European women's football team. And the first, I think the first 11 of the of 12 meetings that they played against England, Norway won. You know, that as pendulum has now swung the other way now. You know, I think England have won six of the, the subsequent nine or something. It's interesting, actually, looking back now, the body language of the Norwegian players, uh, particularly in the second half against Northern Ireland, uh, Hegeberg in particular was getting really frustrated with a lack of service in the tunnel after the game. They were fairly downbeat. The Austrian players, in contrast, after their win, they crashed the manager's press conference. I put the video on social media and, and started joining her on the stage and six or seven of them dancing. <laughs> they were and dancing, singing. weren't they? Yeah. They were. And it yeah, was a yeah. brilliant moment. But to me, again, maybe it's with hindsight because they've just been hammered. Maybe all isn't well in the Norwegian camp. Doesn't look like it, does it? It certainly isn't now. They had about eight huddles during the game and before, during and after. And I don't know what they were saying in them, but it weren't working. Sam, you might not have seen this because obviously you were you were commentating for Talk Sport, but at half time, 
uh, on television, they spoke to Jan Arnorisa, the former Liverpool player. He was absolutely furious. I mean, he properly went in on them. He said that it was a disgrace. Uh, you want people, you want players who are going to fight for their country. You want players who are going to back each other up and work as a team. Said the body language, the effort was all wrong. And he was really quite brutal. And it's kind of tough to disagree, really. And that was a half time. Oh, they were absolutely rubbish, weren't they? I mean, there's no doubt about it. England were brilliant, but they were so naive. But towards the end, they just looked like they were shell-shocked. They, they looked mm. as if they were punch-drunk yeah. by that first-half performance. England were brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and so ruthless. And I think they'd had a bit of criticism for not being ruthless enough. They certainly were. Uh, interesting to see, where, where, where do they rank now in the tournament? You know, we, we saw France absolutely batter uh, Italy on uh, Sunday night. We've seen Germany um, play particularly well. I thought they were the best team that I'd seen up yeah. until tonight. Yeah. I was, I was blown away by England tonight. I was surprised by the way that they applied themselves, especially in that, you know, that first 45 minutes. So where do you think they rank, Kev? I think they're up there. I think one of the fascinating things about this tournament going into it was that I felt there were five or six teams that could win it. I still feel that. Uh, I think Sweden, for me, are a really well-balanced side with a good squad. They've got... Players like Friedelino Rolfo who's had a really good season for Barcelona, really real danger in attack. Stina Blackstanius didn't even start that game against the Netherlands. And had they been a bit more clinical, they should have won that game against the Dutch, I think. So I think Sweden are a real danger. France have made a great start. I didn't expect them to smash Italy in the way that they did. But I still think there are problems there. Corinne Diacre, the coach, has made some massive calls, left some big names out. I'm still not sure the vibe is right with that squad and we'll see as the tournament progresses. Fascinated to see what happens with Spain and Germany because Spain don't have Alexia Puteas, they don't have Jenny Hermoso. How are they going to deal with that in the long term? Germany, great going forward against Denmark. Defensively, can they be got at? So I think there are five or six teams that can win it, but all of them have strengths and weaknesses. And I think England have shown that going forward, there aren't many teams who can live with them. I think if you look at the pathway now, um, England as group winners probably will play Spain at the Amex again um, in a quarterfinal. They'll probably be quite happy to be back at the Amex after what happened tonight. Spain obviously missing a couple of key players through injuries. So you'd be fairly confident they could come through that. Then it could be the Netherlands or Sweden in the semi-final. Kev's already uh, bestowed the virtues of both of those sides. And then you're looking maybe at an England-Germany final. I mean, listen, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think that probably is uh, the route to glory. So I think that the semi-final now is the bare minimum, um, given that they're likely to win the group and play Spain. But I think they've got to take confidence from tonight. The fact that they look like they could score at will, they've taken apart a, a team with proven pedigree at this level. The fact, as you said, Sam, that I think, People who don't watch women's football, there's a message on our private group from your brother in America who says, like, I don't normally watch it, but that was impressive tonight. You're going to get the casual football supporter who jump on the bandwagon now and it's going to build and build and build. Well, let's hope it goes on longer than just two more games. They've certainly got at least two more games now. Northern Ireland on Friday live on TalkSport and their quarter final live from the Amex Stadium which I understand is the 20th of uh, July now. Yeah, the 20th of July. It's a Wednesday night, and that will be live on Talk Sport. Right, let's look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the world of football. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. So I teed it up a little bit earlier on that Manchester United have dished out an ultimatum to Barcelona. Crook, you've been across this story. What's happened? Well, uh, obviously, we've all seen the images of uh, Richard Arnold and and John Murta arriving in Barcelona for talks uh, with their Catalonian counterparts. This uh, de Jong saga has been going on since the middle of May. So you're talking the best part of eight weeks now. And I mentioned uh, with you and Scott Minto on the Sunday session that a lot of United fans, I think the club themselves, are growing quite impatient. We know that a fee has been agreed, £56 million plus add-ons. We know that De Jong is is open now to a move to Old Trafford. Maybe that wasn't necessarily always the case, but I do think it's been overplayed a little bit. There's a difference between not wanting to leave Barcelona and not wanting to join Manchester United. So I think we should say that first and foremost. I think he knows his time, the new camp is numbered, and he sees United and Ten Hag as a reasonable destination. The problem is... This £17 million in unpaid wages, my understanding is that a lot of the conversations that took place on Monday uh, revolved around that. And I think Barcelona are hoping that Manchester United can step in and actually fund some of those unpaid wages, which would be quite extraordinary. But it may take that to get the transfer over the line. United want it done by Friday, I'm told. Yeah, otherwise they say they're going to walk away from it. I mean, Ten Hag has been pretty ruthless even on the tour. I mean, they were training at the Rajamangala Stadium in Bangkok this week and he's banned mobile phones. He's at mealtimes. He's he's trying to unite the dressing room that obviously was splintered last season. And obviously there's more to it than that because there's players that have been recalled from loan spells that are still involved, like Anthony Martial. But he, he wants to foster a sense of unity amongst the squad and the staff. They want them all to eat together. He uh, won't let any phones at the dinner table. He wants them to talk and mix freely. He, he sort of decides the colour of the outfits the staff should wear. For example, female members of staff are asked to wear white and the men black. I mean, like, I mean, he goes obviously going in clearly into detail, Kevin. Is this the right way to repair the damage that has been done by what has seemed to be a, a ship that's been allowed to drift over the course of the last few years? It, it won't be the be-all and end-all, but it, what it shows you is what he is, which is a details guy, and he always has been. This is what he does. He thinks very deeply about the game, about things on and off the field. It was very successful at Ajax. You listen to a lot of the people who work with him, uh, and he has been able to improve them. He sees things that other coaches don't necessarily see. But 
this is the biggest challenge of his career by quite some distance. And I think he will have already realised a lot of the kind of extraneous noise there is. He will have realised with this protracted pursuit of Frankie de Jong that at this level, it can be quite tricky to close these deals. By the way, Barcelona are really a quite extraordinary outfit. If they come out of this, having been able to flog Frankie de Jong and get Manchester United to pay some of the wages they owe him, that will be really quite amazing. And, you know, you talk about Mesquite Club, you know, more than a club. It's extraordinary. The fact that Barcelona really the Barcelona way. The way they're acting is a a little bit... So shabby. Yeah, it is. It's a little bit, it's a little bit off the beaten path, isn't it? It's not, it's not the right way you would expect a club of that standing uh, to behave. That is for sure. Interesting to see what happens if they do um, like rule out a move for Frankie de Jong and they go elsewhere. And um, they've decided not to go elsewhere with their their captain choice. Harry Maguire is going to be the captain for the upcoming season. And Cristiano Ronaldo is not for sale, according to Erin Ten Hag. <laughs> Crook. I think he's rapidly running out of options. Genuinely, we we've spoken about this, and I know again you and Scott Minto were convinced that he would go to Chelsea. Well, convinced. Have- we said that there was a route to it and we could understand why they would do it. I think convinced is probably overplaying it. Not that you're sort of afraid of doing that. <laughs> I, I, I've always had my reservations as to whether Thomas Tuchel would actually sanction that deal and, and the noises coming out of Stamford Bridge are that he's not particularly keen uh, to go down that road that the Todd Bowley is keen to tread. Um, he isn't going to go to Bayern Munich. Oliver Kahn has already come out and, and ruled that out. I, I'm not sure that Paris Saint-Germain, even for the, the basket case, ego-collecting club that they are, uh, are going to go down that road either. Napoli are interested, but they can't get anywhere near the wages that he's earning at Manchester United. I think he'll stay. Um, and, and I've thought that for a while. It's an un- unnecessary distraction. It's a soap opera, it's a circus, whatever word you want to use. I think he'll be encouraged if they get the De Jong transfer over the line. And I think they have to get the De Jong transfer over the line. This is a big test for, for Arnold and Murta very early in their tenure as the sort of power brokers, the kingmakers at Old Trafford. If they spend two months chasing a player <laughs> and then it doesn't happen, that is going to be a really bad look on them. Yeah, unfortunately, that's what's happened to Manchester United far too often over the last few years. So you're right in that they need to put a stick in the ground, a flag in the in the surface, don't they? And say, hold on a second, this is the new way that we're going to be running things. So don't you know? Don't 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 try and take us for a ride. Uh, Harry Kane doesn't like being taken for a ride. Not as many rides as he's been on under Antonio Conte's grueling preseason <laughs> drills. Uh, he was left needing to be sick as several Tottenham Hotspur players collapsed to the floor during a training session in South Korea. I'm not sure why this is championed as a good thing, but apparently it is. I mean, they've got a, a, a relentless, horrible coach, Gian Piero Vetroni, who was nicknamed the Marine for putting his, his players through uh, ferocious demands. I mean, they're punishing drills at the end of a two-hour session in humidity and heat and temperatures of around about 30 degrees. I, I don't see how this is advisable, but apparently it's supposed to be a good thing, Kevin. It's the Conte way, uh, and we're going to see, uh, I think in April maybe, how useful it is because his teams generally compete for honours down the stretch, and this is one of the reasons that they do that because he has them uh, up to an incredible standard of fitness. They'll hate it right now. I wouldn't get anywhere near uh, any of those drills. I wouldn't last two seconds, but this is what he does. And players, I think will accept that kind of thing if they can see it works. I think that's always the thing. If the results come 
and they actually feel fitter and feel like they can win games down the stretch. That's what will make a massive difference. I think they're doing all the right things in the transfer market. They've brought in uh, Jenny Villa, the, the set-piece specialist. I think that's going to help because Tottenham maybe at set plays have not been the best. So I think that's going to be a massive step uh, in terms of getting them ready for attacking set plays and defensive set plays. And so... I think it's all going well for Spurs at the moment. And I do think, I know I've said this before, but I do think that failure by Arsenal to see out top four and that ability for Spurs to just sneak in there and get it, I think in the midterm future of both clubs, it's going to be enormous. I really yeah. do believe that. I don't uh, ever let anybody tell you, by the way, that relationships between BBC Radio 5 Live and TalkSport aren't great. Vicky Sparks has just come over and given me a, a strawberry Haribo. That's very kind of her. Um, Chelsea uh, looking to be uh, looking for an alternative to Rafinha. That deal seems to have sort of petered out a little bit. And maybe they're going to go for Serge Nabry. Now, is he available from Bayern Munich, Kevin? Well, he will be if he doesn't agree a new contract with the club. Their priority is to get him to sign a new deal. They say they want to keep him. But he's been in German football a while now. It didn't work out for him in the Premier League last time out with Arsenal. But I like him a lot. I think he's a good player. I think at his best, he's an explosive player. He scores goals, makes goals. But Chelsea have some good players there already. And I think with the finance they have available... I wonder if they can get better. I'm surprised they've been in so strongly for Rafinha, quite frankly, uh, who I think is clearly a very talented player. But I think even Barcelona, the kind of money they're throwing at this, uh, I think is a risk. I'm sure he'll do well, but I, I don't think you can say he'll definitely do well. Um, so I think it's interesting. But Gnabry, I wonder if there's a little bit of brinkmanship as well with his people trying to get buy into what the offer. You know, it's been a while now they've been talking about a new contract. So I'd be interested to see how that plays out. But Bayern do want to keep him. Yeah, AC Milan and um, Hakim Ziyech are looking to try and do a deal as well. I know that he's ditched his last agent and signed up with Rock Nation, who are... Uh, Lukaku's, uh, well, not really Lukaku's agent, actually. They're, they're, they're just the people who brokered the deal to into Milan. They've got good links with uh, the, a lot of the Italian uh, clubs. Nebri's actually, you know, done quite well for Bayern Munich. 17 goals for them last season. Netted double figures in all of his four campaigns with a German club. And he's got a really impressive scoring record for Germany as well. 20 goals in 34 appearances for the national team. I think Chelsea want more thrust to their attack. They need defenders more than anything else. And I think, you know, Nathan Aki, Raheem Sterling, those deals probably will get over the line very shortly, but it's taking its time. I know that he finished the second part of his medical, didn't he? Uh, Raheem Sterling in the last 24 hours. Crook, what else have you got going on on your uh, bubbling transfer radar? Well, I wanted to chat one at Kev, actually, while we're talking about players in the Bundesliga, because I got a message earlier on Monday evening that I was fairly dismissive of uh, because apparently it's being reported in Germany that Manchester United are also in for the Stuttgart striker, Sasa uh, Kalajic. Kalajic, yeah. Now, he was a player who was linked with Southampton in the German media early this window, and that was dismissed by my sources at St Mary's. I think he's been linked with one or two other English clubs as well. He's played international football against England recently, hasn't he, Kalajic? Who does he play for? Austria. Yeah, Austria, look, yeah. look, I like him. Uh, I th- he's very tall. He, but he's massive, isn't he? 
Yeah, but kind of think of Peter Crouch, that kind of vibe. So good touch for a big man, all that stuff. So (laughs) he's really good at linking the play. He is good in the air. Of course he is because he's enormous. But I think what's interesting about him is that he was linked with Dortmund and they went for Sebastian Allaire. He was linked with Bayern and Bayern have kind of looked at him and thought, well, we'll see what happens with Lewandowski and we'll see other targets as well. I think he is an interesting player. I think it would be a leap for Manchester United to say, right, you're one of our main guys. Doesn't sound like it'd be ma- that much of a leap for him, though, because he's... No, very good. Six. Very good. <laughs> ah, very good. He's here all week. Um, the, the caveat I would put on this as well is he's had a couple of serious injuries and he's a relatively young player, but he's had a couple of serious injuries. So that has to be factored in as well, I think. Uh- He's 24. I'm just looking back at the notes I made on him when I did the Austria game at the end of, or just before the European Championships. I put here the target man with a tricky feet. He's, he's had a good season. He had a good season last season, not the one that's just gone, the one before that at Stuttgart. Is that right? Yeah, he's got 17 right. goals for them in that period. And he actually scored in a run of seven consecutive Bundesliga games yeah. uh, between January and March of that year. And um, this season just gone, Sam, he dug them out of trouble. They were in real relegation danger and he scored some massive goals towards the end of the season. So one of the biggest pluses with him is that when the pressure's on, he does perform. There you go. A massive goal from a massive player. Crook, what else you got? Uh, Nathan Collins, I think we've mentioned this one before. Interest from uh, a number of Premier League clubs. Looks like Wolves are the ones who are advancing that uh, fee of just over £20 million. I think it will take to get him out of turf more. Stoke, actually, uh, will benefit from that because they've got a fairly hefty sell-on clause. He only joined Burnley a year ago. You've got Maxwell Cornet uh, still to leave turf more as well. And I do believe that he's on Chelsea's radar with that fairly low release fee. And on the subject of Wolves, Morgan Gibbs-White, Everton, the first to make a formal bid for him, turned yeah. down £25 million. I was told that £20 million should be enough to get him. So clearly Wolves are aware of the amount of interest. And there are three or four clubs, including AC Milan uh, and Crystal Palace, who want Morgan Gibbs-White. So they're going to drive a, a fairly hard bargain for him. But I think he probably will leave Molyneux because he's basically refusing to sign a new contract. Good player. And he's had a lot of spells away from the club already. So that, clearly, I think he feels if it's time for him to move on because he hasn't been given the opportunities at uh, Molyneux that maybe he thinks he should have had. And bearing in mind, people are willing to play in advance of 25 million for him. Then someone's going to give him a better opportunity by the looks of it. So good luck to him. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me late at night. I'm at the Amex Stadium and it's been a terrific night for England's Lionesses. Uh, Kevin, uh, are you back with us at any anytime soon? Are you going to pop on the radio? I heard you on the radio the other day with Danny Kelly. Very good. And I've seen oh, you on the fun. TV and all sorts recently. I saw you on the TV looking smart, which, of course, yes. is a ma- <laughs> major departure to how I usually see you. I think that shocked many people, to be yeah. honest. I yeah, had to I make sure myself. that it was you, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I shocked myself. So uh, a commentator friend of mine actually did have to double check. He said, I looked at the clothes and didn't think it was you. And then I heard you and then realized it was. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think I've surprised a few people. But my mum was pleased that I was smart. So that was the main thing. Oh, but well, I'm off to Mallorca cool. at the end of the month. So uh, oh, a yeah. bit of a rest at some stage. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, Crookie, I know you're going to. What Northern Ireland previews and stuff like that ahead of uh, Friday's game? Yeah, speaking to a couple of players on Wednesday, I'll be at their press conference Thursday. And I think I'm playing in this media game on Friday that you've bottled um, Northern Ireland media against England media. Bottled. And in true crook style, I'm obviously playing for Northern Ireland. Of course you are. 
11 o'clock, isn't it, on Friday, the media game. I was invited to play in the England one today against the Norwegian team. Uh, but apparently all the Norwegian media uh, people look like they should have been in Love Island. I'm pleased I didn't. They got battered. They were, the media they're, they're managed by Egil Olsen, would you believe? Yeah, well, that's just not fair, is it? I mean, that's just nonsense. Uh, and then, uh, but I didn't play because I was working. Uh, and then on Friday, actually, I'm doing the Jim White show, so I can't. Me and Simon Jordan are doing 10 till 1, so I can't possibly get there for the game. But thank you very much for the invite. It's, you know, widely, wonderfully received. Anyway, uh, speak to you later on. Have a great one. Enjoy it. Keep downloading the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.